And, and, but we found is a, is a lot of times, in, especially in church for whatever reason, we're ashamed to ask those questions. We're ashamed to ask why, almost like we should just inherently know. Almost like, why, why would you ask that question? Or there's something wrong with you for asking that question. But really, now, in the midst of pandemic, and, you know, with, with, with everything going on politically, with you know, all the uncertainty in the world, now's the perfect time to ask these questions. And so we've been taking deep dives every week in these different aspects of life. And so last week, Quentin did an amazing job um, diving into relationships and, and, and kind of talking about what do good relationships look like, what do bad relationships look like, and why even bother? Why even try? Why do relationships matter, and why are they so important? And so this week, um, it, it was kind of one of those things where um, this week's sermon could have rolled into last week's sermon, and, and Quentin did cover um, some of the some of the stuff, um, but this week we're talking about forgiveness, and obviously there's a lot of forgiveness in relationships. Um, but forgiveness is also so deeply important, and there's also such a deep thread throughout all of Scripture, especially the Gospels, about the importance of forgiveness. And th- just to be frank, forgiveness is so hard. Let's let's just be honest. Let, let's go ahead and establish that in the beginning of this sermon before we we cover anything else. Forgiveness is very difficult to practice. So because of its difficulty, because of the importance and the emphasis that Jesus puts on in the scriptures, we're we're, we're just going to take a deep dive into why forgiveness matters. So before we get any further, I'm going to go ahead and open us up into prayer. So Jesus, I thank you that you never call us to do anything that you haven't first led the way in yourself. That you don't, you wouldn't call us to forgive things that you haven't already forgiven in us. And Jesus, I thank you that you have given us the the perfect example of how um, a life well lived in your own example, in your own life on the earth. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you in um, to our homes, we invite you into the service, we invite you into our hearts, um, that you would illuminate for each individual person what you want them to get out of this, what they need to hear. And Holy Spirit, I, just, I, I, I invite you and say yes and amen to everything you want to do in our midst today. And that um, anything that I say um, that is not um, lined up with your scripture, anything that I say that does not reflect your heart or your attitude, it would fall to the ground and be, and be void. Lord, we, we pray that not only would your truth be portrayed, but your heart towards us would be portrayed as well. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, when I was about 13, 14, um, I, took a, I took weightlifting in gym. And weightlifting was not a new thing for me. I mean, in, in our house growing up, we had a weight room in our house growing up. My dad had uh, trophies from YMCA lifting tournaments that, that you know, he kept in the shed. And so my dad was an avid lifter, and so that's how I grew up. I, you know, I, at a young age, I've, I've got these, these, little, these little bars, and I'm just like, you know, good form, Dad? You know, and, that, and that's just kind of how I grew up. And so you know, in school, um, we, you know, I was like 13, 14, took weightlifting. And so I remember one day we're, we're doing squats, you know, and so um, I'm, I'm doing my squats and, you know, I'm, I'm doing the weight that I can do. And, and my buddy that I'm lifting with, he goes, 
put the big wheels on there, and he puts the you know puts the big plates on there, and he gets under the bar like this, and he's all he's all confident, you know. And, and I'm, I'm just like, let's see what's gonna happen here. He starts doing this number right here, starts kind of just kind of bouncing. And he goes, I'm I'm so strong, man. Look how much weight I can do doing this. And I'm like, yeah, you are moving that weight pretty good, aren't you? He goes, and he goes, I'm like, I'm like, is that a squat? He goes, yeah, that's squatting. I'm squatting right now. And so I was like, let me give that a try. So I got under there, and I'm I'm bouncing under the weight. I'm like. This feels pretty good. I can move a lot of weight doing this. And so we started doing that. And so, and so I come home all proud. Like, so I'm, I'm excited to tell my dad. Like, I, I, am, and I forget how much we ended up getting. But I mean, it, it was a weight that no 13 or 14-year-old can actually squat. It was like 200-some pounds. But you, you, know, you can do it by bouncing it. And so um, I get home, and we're, and we're eating dinner. I was, like, I was like, Dad, I squatted like 200 pounds a day. And Dad, knowing better, going, no, you didn't. It's like, no, Dad, seriously, I, I squatted like 200-some pounds today. And he goes, all right, well, let's show me. He stopped dinner. He goes, go show me. So we, we went, again, we have a weight room in the house, so we went to the weight room, and he put the big wheels on. He goes, squat 200 pounds for me. It's like, I'm there, I'm like, see, Dad, I'm squatting 200 pounds. And he goes, I told you to squat. And, and, and I knew what that meant. I knew that this is not a squat. This is a squat. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't squat the weight. And you may, be, you may be listening to this story at home going, Tim, what in the world does bouncing 200 pounds have to do with forgiveness? Nothing, really. But it has everything to do with deception. Because I knew good and well what a squat was. My dad was the one who, who, was, the one who was like, if you can do no other lift in the world, squat. And he taught me what a squat was at a young age. And so I knew good and well when my buddy was bouncing that weight in gym, he wasn't squatting. But I believed the lie that it was. And the result of that lie felt good because I was moving a bunch of weight around. I felt strong, and I felt validated by doing that. But the problem was I wasn't actually squatting. And so what that meant was I wasn't actually doing anything for myself. It, wa- it wasn't actually making me stronger. I had the appearance of being stronger, but it wasn't actually making me stronger. And it wasn't actually increasing my health or my fitness. I was just barely moving some weight around. And Paul has something to say about that. If we go and look in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 21 through 24, this is what Paul has to say. Starting in verse 21, he says, When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Remember remember that. Remember deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have these deceitful desires. We have these feelings that are deceptive to us that come from our old creation, that come from the old self that we're leaving behind as we're following in Christ and learning to walk in our new self. You see, feelings are great Servants, feeling. You know, I, I am not saying anything bad about feelings. I, I'm, I'm a feelings-driven person too. 
Feelings are great servants, but they're terrible masters. We are not meant to follow our feelings and our desires lead. And the reason I bring this up is because forgiveness is, part of the reason why forgiveness can be so difficult is because, because forgiveness can fly in the face of everything that feels right to us. If anyone, if you're watching right now and you have been truly betrayed by someone that you love, if you've been hurt by someone close to you, if you have has seen someone that you care deeply about maliciously wronged, you know what I'm talking about. You know how difficult forgiveness can be. You know how difficult it can be to let go of that anger. You know how difficult it can be to relinquish justice. But that's what it is. And in fact, if we, if we step into that, if we lean in to these desires that we have to, to, to hold on to anger, to hold on to resentment, and to hold on to offense, it fe- we, we feel strong. It, it can actually make us, our anger can make us feel strong. Our ang- we can feel validated and justified to hold on to what we have against people. Because maybe, just maybe, our anger is the only punishment this person is going to get, depending on the situation. Maybe our anger and us refusing to let it go is the only justice this person is going to receive. And then as a result of of us holding on to that, now all of a sudden this anger has consumed us, and, and maybe you find yourself alone in your car cussing them out by yourself. You know, you, you, you daydream about how you're going to make things right with them. You daydream about punishing them, bad things happening to them. And whenever you get the chance, you spread the gospel of how terrible they are to anyone who will listen. It feels good. I mean, I, I've been there. It, it, can, it can feel good. But we're being deceived. So the real question is, the real question that we're here to discuss this morning and we're here to figure out, and it's the question we've been meeting every Sunday during this sermon series is, is, is is it worth it? If unforgiveness can feel this good and if unforgiveness can feel this validating and justifying, is going against that and is forgiving people truly worth it? Is forgiveness good advice? That's akin to brush your teeth before you go to bed and eat your leafy greens because it's good for you. Or, is, or are there higher stakes at play? Is there more to forgiveness that maybe we're not even aware of, that maybe we can't see or comprehend, but Jesus knows fully, which is why it was so important to him. It still is so important to him. So... <clears throat> Kind of, um, so what, what you know, I'm going to be doing is, is I, I've kind of written out some, um, some misconceptions about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is, so, um, it, it's such a hot topic, and, and because, I mean, Christian or not Christian, forgiveness is, is permeable throughout all of culture, um, there's some misconceptions about, uh, about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. 
And so not all of these, I'm not saying that I've heard all of these verbatim. A lot of these are contextual. A lot of these I've, I've kind of picked up based off of how people talk about forgiveness, how people act about forgiveness. But I've got about four of them. And so I thought this could be good to kind of go through these four um, and kind of talk about um, kind of what Quentin did last week, what, what, what forgiveness is, what forgiveness isn't, and kind of um, look at these concepts of what forgiveness is and isn't through the lens of Scripture and test them through Scripture. Because again, this is going to be a common theme. Our desires can be deceitful, which is why we have to test all things through Scripture. So the first thing is, is that forgiveness is a feeling. So what I mean when I say that is, is you know, it's this idea of, um, well, well, I can't forgive them now because I'm still mad at them. And, and, and I have to wait until I'm not mad at them anymore to forgive them. Which, again, is not true because, again, Paul says our desires can be deceitful. So if we're waiting until we feel like it to forgive someone, then that's probably never going to come. Forgiveness is a decision. Now, that's not to mean that forgiveness isn't a process. Forgiveness can absolutely be a process. You know, you may decide to forgive someone today and then have to decide to forgive them again tomorrow and then decide to forgive them again that afternoon. You may have to keep making that decision over and over and over again, and that's okay. It can take time, and it's a process, and that's perfectly fine. We just can't wait for our feelings to catch up with us to decide to forgive. They're not always going to be this short, so don't get excited. (laughs) The second one, unforgiveness is harmless. So this idea of, you know what, at the end of the day, if I decided to forgive this person, it's a victimless crime. Who am I really hurting if I decide not to forgive this person? Well, I'll tell you. So... When I, was, when I was in leadership with, with an a organization called the World Race, there was a term that got thrown about a lot. And that term is called shared offense. And so if you've never heard of a, of a shared offense, I'll tell you what a shared offense is. So let's just use an example. Let's say um, person A did something to offend person B. Could have been real, could have been accidental, could have been on purpose, could have been completely a complete misunderstanding. Doesn't matter. Person B is now mad at person A. Person B is so mad at person A, they're going and hanging out with their friends, and they have spewed all over person A to their friends about how terrible they are. I can't believe they still go to our church. I can't believe they did this. Why do they even do that anymore? All this stuff. Now, not only does one person need to forgive person A, five people need to forgive person A. And these other four people are mad at person A about something they didn't even do to them. And I'm telling you this because that behavior, that slander, that gossip is incredibly toxic and divisive. And in a, in a program like the World Race, where you've got you know, this, this small group of people who are living together and doing missions together and living in third world countries, we have seen that kind of stuff completely demolish a World Race squad. Completely demolish it. And as a result, we made it to where if, I mean, I think you got one warning. If, if, if you were caught slandering and gossiping about someone else, 
um, instead of going and reconciling with them and dealing with it, you may get one morning and then you got a, one warning and then you got a one-way ticket home. That's how serious the world race was about slander and gossip. And so you may say, Tim, that's not a big deal here because if someone makes me mad, I just go home and blow off steam, which is true, and that's great, but that doesn't take away from the toxic and divisive consequences of that behavior. Maybe the magnifying glass isn't as strong as it was on the road race because we're not all living in tight quarters, but it's still just as toxic and it's still just as harmful to the body. And when I say body, I mean the Christian body. If you look in John chapter 17, this is the chapter before Jesus is betrayed and begins his trial and, and later to the cross. So this is, this in John, this is the last public address he makes before he is arrested and, and sent to court. And what he does is, is it's, a, it's a long prayer. And in that prayer, he prays that his church would be one and it would be their unity, it would be their oneness that shows the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Now let that really sink in for a minute. It's, it, would be our, it would be our unity that shows the world who Jesus is. Not our preaching, not our strong apologetic arguments, not our solid missions program, none of that stuff. It's our unity. It's, it's, it's the, the Christian church's ability to look past personalities, different backgrounds, different cultures, different incomes. It would be our ability to extend grace beyond those things, find common ground in the cross of Jesus Christ, and love each other. That is going to show the world who Jesus is. Yes, preaching and apologetics and missions are great. But when I read stuff like this, it kind of makes me wonder if we need to reprioritize things a little bit. And so going back to, to why this is a big deal is, any, you know, if, if, if you're not forgiving people and as a result of that anger, you're spewing that anger to other people, then you are disrupting that unity, and you are not being the answer to Jesus' prayer. Another reason that, forgive, that, that withholding forgiveness can be harmful is, and this is, this is a little more abstract. So if you look at the entirety of Scripture, which is a pretty tall order, you can see kind of a pattern of, of the effects and what forgiving someone does for the person who's being forgiven. I'll give you a few examples in Scripture of this. In the book of Genesis, there's the story of two twin boys named Jacob and Esau. And so Jacob was, t- or Esau was technically the firstborn. He came out first during birth, and, and Jacob was a brat. And so, <laughs> and so Jacob... There's a couple stories of um, Esau coming in from a hunt that lasted for days, and Jacob is cooking a stew, and Esau's famished. He goes, I'm dying. Give me some food. And Jacob says, I'll sell you a bowl of soup for your birthright. And Esau did it, which is on him. But he sold Jacob his birthright for a bowl of soup. 
But there's another story where their father Isaac is now blind and on his deathbed and has asked Esau to go and, and kill and cook him some food so that he can then give him his blessing for, for being the firstborn. Well, Jacob deceives his father by uh, go, killing a goat, cooking him some food, putting hair on his arms because Esau was a pretty hairy dude, and takes him a bowl of soup and tricks his father into giving him his brother's blessing. Now, after that happened, Esau was furious, and Jacob ended up having to flee for his life because his brother wanted to kill him. And decades and decades go by before they see each other again. And, and due to circumstances, they're now about to cross paths, and Jacob is terrified because his brother, when he last left, wanted to kill him, and rightfully so. And so he's now making arrangements for how is he going to you know, protect maybe half his family if his other half is protected and all that stuff. Well, the night before he meets his brother, he has an encounter with an angel. And he ends up wrestling this angel. You've got to read the story. But he ends up wrestling this angel all night. And then at the end, the angel says, let go of me. He refuses to let go until he's blessed. And that's when his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And his life is completely changed after that. His legacy, his, his, his family, everything has changed. Now he is called Israel. And what you find out is later that day when he meets up with his long-lost brother, his brother embraces him because at some point in the past, we don't know how long ago, his brother had forgiven him for everything. And it was a, re- it was a beautiful, beautiful reconciliation that his brother embraced him and was happy to see him. Another story is you fast forward and you have Jesus on the cross for our sins. And the last thing he says before he dies is, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they do. Fast forward two or three months after he's resurrected, spent some time on the earth, and then ascended again, his disciples are on the upper room, and Pentecost happens. The fiery tongues fall down, they have this experience of the Holy Spirit, and the Christian church begins. A little bit later, you have Stephen, who is a member of the church, who's been preaching the gospel, and Saul, who has stirred a crowd up against him, and he is holding their coats in approval so that they can stone him to death. And before he breathes his last breath, before he dies, he says, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. And then days later, Paul has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, becomes Paul, one of the greatest evangelists in church history. What do all three of those stories have in common? Someone who did something wrong needed to be forgiven, and when they received forgiveness, there was something mysterious, something supernatural about that forgiveness that opened up a way for them to have an encounter with the Lord and have their life changed. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I understand it, but what I am going to tell you is I believe Scripture, and I believe the power of forgiveness, and that our withholding of forgiveness could be the very thing that's preventing them from having an encounter with the Lord for themselves and changing. Moving on, the next thing, the next misconception about forgiveness is the old adage, forgive and forget. 
this idea that um, in order to forgive someone, you have to forget the things they have done to you, um, which can then enable them to continue to do them. And I want to say right up front, um, this is not license for someone who is abusive. This is not license for someone who has a pattern of harming you to continue to do so. You can forgive someone, you can love someone, and still put boundaries up in place to protect yourself from, from being harmed and from being abused. Um, going back to the story about Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. They, they had this offense against them, and Esau forgave Jacob, and they reconciled. But they didn't set up shop and settle down all together and be a family. In the very next chapter, they, all, they both went their separate ways. So you don't have, you know, forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that you even stay in relationship with them. It just means you're not angry at them anymore and you're letting them off the hook. You can still love them and you can still forgive them and recognize either, you know what, we do better if we're apart <laughs> or I'm better off not being in proximity with you. I forgive you, I love you, but we need some space. That's another short one. Forgive and forget. The last one is that forgiveness is a suggestion. And again, this isn't necessarily that I've heard people say verbatim that it's a suggestion. But again, it's, it, it, it's in context. It's how we can treat forgiveness sometimes. But going back to my illustration about the shared offense... If the friends who person B went to and spewed about person A were good friends, they would really say, hey, man, it sounds like <laughs> you, need to, you need to let this go. It sounds like you need to have a conversation with this person. It sounds like you need to forgive this person. And if they were good friends, they wouldn't let them off the hook until that happened. But, but what we tend to do is we, we, we tend to feel like we're doing them a favor by being sympathetic with them and going, oh, I'm, I know that was hard. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's rough. I'm really sorry. You know, and, and, we, and we think, but we're, we're not doing them a favor. We really need to hold, good friends hold them to forgiveness. And I'll, and I'll show you why right now. Um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 14 through 15, um, says really one of his, his um, it can seem harsher um, sayings in scripture. In verse 14, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It seems that our ability to extend the grace that's been given to us to others directly impacts our standing with the Father. I'll say that again because it's that important. Our ability to extend the grace that's been given to us to others directly impacts our standing with the Father. And, and you know, Quentin touched on this last week. He, he shared about the parable of the unforgiving servant who, who owed this tremendous debt of, of 10,000 gold bags, which, you know, in, in today's time, think Jeff Bezos' fortune. I mean, something that, you know, a mere mortal would never be able to acquire. This guy owed this master. And he was calling for him. He was going to collect his debts and... He begged for forgiveness, and the master forgave this 
crazy, ridiculous debt. But then that same person who's that, who had that crazy, ridiculous debt forgiven went to someone else who owed him money and owed, I think, like 100 silver pieces, like, like a month's wage is what he owed. And again, that person begged him for forgiveness, but he was not merciful and demanded to, to throw his, you know, enslave his family, throw him in jail until the debt was met. And the master was furious at him and threw him in jail because he did not have the ability to extend the grace that was afforded to him to someone else. And Quentin even talked about how, you know, we love to receive forgiveness, but sometimes we're not as quick to extend that forgiveness to someone else. And that's the problem. That, that's the problem. Paul talks about this when he talks about how our faith without works is dead. So if we, our faith is in the cross of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of our sins, the works is extending that forgiveness to other people. And if we are unable or unwilling to extend grace to others, and we're calling ourselves a Christian, we've got some difficult questions to answer and ask ourselves about who we believe God is and what is our faith. And so forgiveness is not a suggestion. Forgiveness is a mandate. Forgiveness is an expectation that Jesus has on all of his people to show the world who he is. Because if there's one thing the cross of Jesus Christ has shown us about God is that God is way more interested in redemption than he is punishment. But if we're not willing to forgive, then we're not reflecting that. So, to recap, forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. It may be a process. It may take time, and that's okay. But forgiveness, we, we don't wait till we feel like forgiving people. We decide to forgive people. For unforgiveness can be harmful. Actually, for unforgiveness is harmful because it can disrupt the unity in the body of Christ, therefore preventing people from seeing who Jesus really is on the earth, because that's meant to happen, that's meant to be portrayed through our unity, and we can't be united if we're resenting each other and talking bad about each other. And it can actually stifle other people's encounters with the Lord and them encountering the Lord for themselves if we're holding grudges against people. And that can be found in Scripture. You can forgive without forgetting and still set up boundaries to protect yourself. And forgiveness is a mandate given by Jesus for anyone who has accepted his forgiveness and calls themselves a Christian. It's a must. It's don't kill, don't murder, you know, don't, don't kill, forgive each other. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, Jesus even talks about how when you're, offering, you know, when you're offering your sacrifice to the temple and if you have something against someone, go and settle it with that person before you offer that that sacrifice. That's implying that your, your very gift to God is worthless if your heart is contrite towards someone else. That is how big of a deal this is to Jesus. 
And he would never ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first himself. So, going back to the original question, is it worth it? Is forgiveness, as difficult as it is, worth it? Yeah. I'd say so. I'd say it's pretty important. I would say if, if showing the world that Jesus is who he says he is, if believing that people's redemption is more important than their punishment, if, 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 if extending the same gifts to others that have been given to us is important, then yes, forgiveness is incredibly important. And I pray that, that, that you would come to the same conclusion because the world needs us to. The world needs us to come to that conclusion. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that, that you have trust enough, trusted us enough that you have put the world in our hands and that you haven't, um, you haven't depended on the expansion of your kingdom and you haven't depended on um, the revelation of your goodness on our eloquence or on our ability to organize missions programs you have put it on something as simple, but also something as difficult as us being united and us being one and us loving each other well. And Lord, we thank you that you have empowered us to give us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And I pray that you would um, embolden and strengthen everyone who, who may have a backlog of people that need to be forgiven to forgive them, that they would be set free and that there would be testimony of, um, of after reconciliation, people having encounters with you that change their lives forever. And we thank you that you are more interested in redemption than punishment. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.